Hi, and welcome to another episode of Gomology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. Now, in recent weeks, we've been uh, visiting fabric makers, footwear makers, small makers, and this week, a larger maker, but not too large, just large enough. Uh, my guest is James. Would you like to introduce yourself, James? Yep. Hi, everyone. Um, pleasure to be here. My name is James Eden. Um, I'm the founder and managing director of Private White VC, um, based here in Manchester, the northwest of England. Now, Private White VC, for those not familiar with your business, what are you up to? What are we up to? Um, well, first and foremost, Private White was my great-grandfather, and he was awarded the Victoria Cross in the First World War, um, hence Private White VC, um, so Private White Victoria Cross. And we are a menswear label um, that specialises in um, mainly um, woven garments, outerwear, coats and jackets. Um, and we've since, uh, well, over the past 18 months, we've made um, some phenomenal strides into jersey and sweats. But virtually all of our garments, all of our products are made in our own factory in Manchester. Um, and 100% of our offering is made within the UK. Now, there's obviously several historical threads and background stories to look at here. Um, Private White himself, what was his connection to the garment industry? Well, so uh, my great-grandfather, he um, was um, he was a, well, he was a soldier in, in the First World War, um, and he was he was awarded the Victoria Cross. Uh, in 1917 for his um, heroics under battle. After the war, he returned to civilian life in need, of, uh, in need of employment. And like many of his peers, he got an apprenticeship in his local raincoat factory. And if you think over 100 years ago, Manchester, or Cottonopolis, as it was known back then, was the heart of certainly the, certainly the UK's cotton trade, but, but, but in fact, it was probably the world, you know, the heart and nucleus of the world's cotton industry. Um, and he got an apprenticeship in his local raincoat factory which is where I'm sitting um, right now. Um, he started off as, a, as an apprentice, became a trainee pattern cutter, and then moved his way up to become general manager. He subsequently became um, proprietor, owner of the factory. Um, he passed away at the end of the 1940s. The business moved on into different guises, into different companies, um, through a series of different um, uh, management teams, different owners, um, my family was never involved up until um, the 1940s, or after the 1940s, should I say. And um, But my family has always had an emotional attachment to the business, myself included. Um, you know, I was very, come from a very close-knit family, and we always, you know, my, my father's legacy as a factory owner, but also as a, as I guess, as a local hero, um, following his um, Victoria Cross, um, I was always very familiar with what the factory did. I used to work here actually as a teenager growing up. You know, most people um, of my age would have maybe like a paper round or, or do chores to, 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 to collect some uh, additional cash when not at school. Uh, I'd come here and work at the factory. Um, I was always always inspired, always interested um, by this place because it's quite a, quite a dark yet glorious um, mill in, here in the heart of Manchester. Um, but there was never really any appetite or opportunity um, 20 years ago to, to, to do anything really meaningful here because, um, you know, 
manufacturing, textiles, especially apparel in the UK, has been a bit of a busted flush over the past, well, 30, 40 years, 50 years. Um, so there was never really opportunity here. I went down a rather formulaic path of, well, of, of going down a vocational uh, degree at the university. So, you know, my, my uh, grandfather was a doctor. My uncle is a doctor. His brother, my father, is a solicitor. So when it came to, you know, the, the logical progression, like lemmings off a cliff, go to university and then become a solicitor or a doctor or a barrister or a, an accountant, which is what I did. Um, so I went down a, a, um, a more finance stroke economics path. Um, then I began work um, as a graduate in finance in central London. That was about 15 years ago. And my reality check bounced when the world imploded financially in 2008, 9, 10. Um, and there was, a, I guess, an opportunity or, shall we say, an existential threat to the factory. Um, and so I decided to raise my hand for um, voluntary redundancy um, because I wanted to see if I could make a difference to this once glorious factory that has hysteric, historically and perennially always been able to make beautiful things to see if I could help, I guess, refocus, revitalize, reinvigorate its um, confidence, its profile and its trajectory um, by creating our own maker's label, our own factory brand, um, and try and do that through wholesaling, through retailing, through um, well, all sorts of, 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 of well, all sorts of ways, which I hadn't yet worked out, and I'm still trying to formulate um, the best foot forward. Um, and that's what I've done the past um, 10, 11, crikey, 12 years now. I just have to say that given that you'd worked in the factory in your spare time, in your teenage years, coming in with those grand plans to speak of a certain level of confidence. Um, was, well, definitely I, ha I had t total, total unfettered confidence in the product and the ability for the amazing people here to make beautiful things. You know, I, I was, you know, as, as a teenager, I was, I was often, you know, um, seduced or stunned or enchanted by the big brands that you would see in the various department stores and all the glossy magazines. Um, this was obviously pre-internet. And most of those, most of the most venerable and most prestigious British bands or even European brands were making some of their product here in the factory. Um, so I was always, I was always aware of the, of the, of the factory's ability to craft beautiful patterns, to construct garments in a, 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 in, a in a beautiful manner and to, 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 to develop and create, you know, really, really high quality stuff. Um, I, there was no doubt in my mind that we had the infrastructure, we had the team that was able to to do that because they were doing it. They weren't getting paid particularly well or at all. Um, and, you know, I just thought that, um, I thought that with the right kind of, well, with the right kind of finesse, um, there was a tremendous opportunity to take our product to a different set of, of, of hearts and minds internationally, um, as opposed to being the, how can I put this? You know, the, the the dirty, grotty, abused bottom of the food chain, outmaker, private label maker, um, because that's a very, very tough, challenging, not particularly sustainable or indeed viable business model in the modern era. Um, and so, look to try and flip that on its head and, and take the business from being all private label 
and no private white to now where we are today, which is all private white um, and no private label. Um, so it's quite a it's been quite a seismic shift in um, the business. Um, there's obviously been some lots and lots of challenges, and we have huge, huge challenges and pinch points and stresses and strains all day, every day. Um, but you know, it's um, it's going as well as could be given you know the struggles and strife outside these four walls because it's not easy at the moment. Um, but you know, I'm very, very proud, very blessed very privileged to, to be able to do what I do with, with what I consider to be the best team that I've ever had. Um, my business partner, Mike, um, Mike Stoll, he's been here all, coming up to his 50th year. He's never worked in any other building, not wanted to trivialise his achievements. He's done phenomenally well. Um, and he um, is confident that the team we have here today is the best team that he has ever seen over his tenure. So I'm very proud of, 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 our, of, my, of my current team um, peer group, the management team, the apprentices, the interns, um, the guys and girls of all ages um, and, and nationality. There's a real melting pot of um, of guy and girl here. We've got like, there's a real, um, you know, when, when people try to ask me what makes our, our factory so special, I always say it's, it's like it's the kaleidoscopic culture that we have here. We've got so many different skills, so many different backgrounds, so many different nationalities cultures religions um and it it's like a well it's just yes yeah, it's, it's a melding pot of uh, of brilliance actually very very proud a few things i'd like to follow up on when you say private label that means basically making for others yes and not making under your own label yes 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 so we so we would yeah exactly that so we would um yeah exactly that which i guess also means that if you're making for others you don't have the financial worries of whether they will be able to sell what you make, but now you've gone into a model where you're actually having to sell your stuff. Correct. So, I mean, it's a double-edged sword. Well, from the private label perspective, it's a bit like, it's a bit like, um, you know, feast and famine, snakes and ladders. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the game snakes and ladders, but you know, you can have some, you can have a wonderful season, a couple of great years and you can make, some good money you can you can be in a comfortable position um but when you're swimming with sharks and let's be clear some of the brands in, across the UK on the high street historically have been quite sharp have been quite difficult have been quite they've had quite tumultuous um times and track records um you can get stung unfortunately and and that's what happened that's what coerced me into getting involved um, you know, we were, uh, we were a very, very, the factory was in a very, very comfortable position one afternoon. And then the following afternoon, um, it was in a bad position because the orders got pulled. Um, a big venerable fashion house from the UK decided to take their production elsewhere, offshore, whatever. Um, and we were left breathless with a ravenous workforce that require a ravenous factory that require cutting bundles production on an hourly basis. And without that, you've got real challenges um, financially, operationally, logistically. Um, so the private label is very, very hard work. Um, the margins that you, um, well, the margins that you deserve are very different to the margins that you get paid, if get paid at all, um, because credit control and, 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 and getting paid is a, is a challenge. Um, but it is quite a simple, quite a pure business plan, a business model. There's, there's not much in the way of speculation. Because you know you've got your order book, you've got your pipeline of production. You can you can box accordingly, um, but it's quite limited the growth. 
um, the growth potential. Um, it's very, very hard to invest under that sort of model because the kind of the kind of margins, the kind of ultimate profits that one can look to make over that under that kind of regime is limited. Um, and when you are looking to scale, when you are looking to develop, when you are looking to train and invest in techniques and machinery and personnel, doing that under the constant threat and focus of not having an order book above and beyond 6, 12, 18 months makes it almost prohibitive. Um, and so we've you know, flipped, the, you know, flipped it on its head and we've gone down a far more speculative, far more risky, um, far more enjoyable um, and far more exciting path of being a primarily direct-to-consumer luxury menswear business um, that has complete control and foresight and visibility over what's coming over the next hill and hurdle. Um, and I certainly wouldn't change it. Now, that's not to say that it doesn't have challenges with, you know, retail and rents and utilities and additional staff. Um, we've got, um, the, you know, we, we, we're we battling day and night with the algorithms of social media. We have issues and, um, uh, and conflicts with our, um, with our uh, wholesale business. We have a retail business. Um, we have stores that we're opening, stores that we're closing. Um, you know, it's it's it, it's quite a it's quite a uh, an, an ongoing, exciting battlefield. It feels, um, um, but you know, it's um, it's a far cry from where we were ten, twelve years ago, and, and, and we're much better for it, actually. Interesting, um, and I suppose being that you're making all your own stuff for your own brand now, you're not so seasonally vulnerable as you would have been making for the others. Um, well, I mean, seasonality in menswear for, 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 for our brand is, is still a, a big, big consideration. You know, we, you know, we're not, um, we aren't, I guess, a resort where luxury brand where guys and girls will come to us for, you know, you know, um, for, uh, swimming shorts or sandals or, um, or, or, or high summer, um, sort of products and so the you know for a period of february to june july is always a little bit lean for us um but in terms of seasonality we no longer have the seasonality of, of production which is very very good so as, you know private label um to your point as a private label maker you would we would invariably have a particularly lean time of year from a production perspective whereas now we may have um seasonality in terms of our revenues but we're able to plan accordingly that so we have a we have a relatively um consistent um path of production you know production really really doesn't work when you've got wild swings and oscillations of of capacity and output um you want a steady increase um that goes on forever um so we're quite we're quite blessed in that respect uh, but you know seasonality is still a consideration you know it would be nice to have a guaranteed um annuity of income uh, you know relatively um a relatively similar levels all, all year round, but it, that doesn't quite happen. Um, but um, you know, we, 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 the, the business is as, I guess, as stable as it's ever been from a production perspective. In fact, far more stable. In fact, it's, ne it's never been as um, as buoyant um, and as pre-planned as it is now because we've got a little bit of scale, a little bit of clout, um, and a little bit of confidence as well to to book you know 12 18 months in advance which allows us to to plan production accordingly and and, and recruit and train and retain um so the foundations are, are, are quite solid and secure now um which is good to say
Now, you mentioned a while back a factory was somewhere special, and I'd like to get into the historic aspect of making in Manchester. You mentioned Cottonopolis. It's sort of the, the birthplace or the cradle of the Industrial Revolution, uh, which was both supremely good and also bad for some. Um, could you talk a bit about that? Yeah, well, you know, Manchester, it's a Cottonopolis, um, Arkwright looms, um, Manchester Ship Canal, um, the cotton raincoat. You know, it was all it was all born, blessed here in, in central Manchester. The factory where I'm, you know, sat sat here now is um, um, based just on you know straddling the River Irwell. Um, 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago, there was probably I don't know, uh, probably several hundred factories like this up and down the river, um, with tens of thousands of people. Um, walking to work um, in factories like this, you know, gloriously depicted by uh, artists such as like Ellis Lowry, you'll see, you know, his, his glorious matchstick men um, going to the match, all, all that kind of glorious uh, uh, nostalgic art. Um, and now there's just us, um, which is bittersweet. You know, I always, you know, when, when, we're, when we're looking for machinists or engineers or even spare parts, um, it's quite lamentable just how, just how, um, just how, poor and small the manufacturing ecosystem is these days you know how many people would go to to las vegas if there's just one casino you know you really miss the 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 the, the, the network effects and the cluster effects that you get of vibrant um factories working alongside in competition yes back in the day but also complementing with an infrastructure with a buoyancy with an energy that's no longer there unfortunately um but yeah so i mean the factory um, hasn't changed, um, you know, um, to all the, the listeners, I would encourage anyone and everyone that feels inclined to come and take a tour because it's a glorious, glorious old Dickensian mill. Um, but it's a bugger to organize and to administrate because it's a, it's a 30,000 square foot. It's on five floors, but it's a bit like a pyramid. So the ground floor is extremely wide and it just gets narrower as you go to the top floor. Um, and on the top floor is actually bizarrely, where the cutting room is so we have to get all our fabrics in through the warehouse and it goes on a, a manual hoist all the way to the top floor and then it follows the, and then the flow goes down as opposed to you know well start to finish on a uh, on, on a single story which is what you get um so from a from a factory optimization from a configuration from a flow and efficiently perspective it's challenging at best um but from a you know, from, from a UK specific, from a UK perspective, it's still one of the most vibrant, dynamic, and most productive factories in the UK, if not if not the world, actually. How much is left of what was there 130 years ago? Uh, I'm thinking sort of machines, processes. I mean, that um, must be bang up to date. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the the stairs, the ceilings, the walls, the bricks, everything's still still here. I mean, there are certain parts of the business that are that are, are newer than others. Uh, I mean, we've not done any major um, developments or major infrastructure improvements for probably 25, 30 years. Um, so it's an old, it's an old building, you know, we, we, you know, the, the, it has, it's, it has acute challenges and pains in, um, in high season. So for example, when it's very, very hot, we all, <laughs> we all dress appropriately when it's freezing cold, we're all wearing, many many layers 
And when it's really, really raining, as it does here in Manchester, we all get, we all get a little bit wet. Um, I'm being a little bit playful here, but you know there are certain parts of the building which 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 are which which can't necessarily cope with the elements at times because um, you know it's a big big um, there are some big big cavernous spaces. So keeping it you know well lit, well heated, well insulated is is, is easy said than done. Um, but I mean, it's just one 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 of the one of the quirks of this building, and and, and, there, and there are many. Um, but you know. A lot, you know, in certain corners, in certain crevices of the, of the factories on the cutting room, if you ignore the sounds of BBC Radio 2, which is what the guys like to listen to, it could be the 1960s, 1970s, 1980s. Um, so we, we've got some workers that are still here from that era too. Um, you know, the kind of techniques, the kind of machinery that we utilise um, are, are, are of that era. I mean, we try and... We, we have modernized over the years as you have to do in business and in life. Um, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, any staunch traditionalist, you know, will have embraced computers and mobile phones. And we've, we've done that to an extent with some of our, some of our machinery, um, not necessarily on the sewing because that's fairly, um, that hasn't really changed, but on things like cutting and, and, and primarily on pattern development. So whether it's, we've got, um, you know, a digitizer, a plotter, um, that stores, and we do all our patterns, well, not all our patterns, we do a lot of our patterns on computer. The master patterns are invariably still done on card, on paper, and they're digitized and put onto the computer um, to be graded and, 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 and take it from there. Um, but, you know, we're, I mean, always looking to, to push the business on and evolve, not for the sake of being modern, but, you know, as a business owner, um, as someone that, keen to drive efficiencies and just improve where we can if there are areas to the business that we can um modernize and we can improve then we look to do that um as 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 sensibly as possible with a consideration for for costs and the culture that we're trying to imbue here now you mentioned the kaleidoscopic nature of your employees. Now yeah. I know that in Manchester there are a lot of graduates in the fashion business, mm. and I have been told that a lot of them like to walk over the road and start working at Boohoo. Are you able to snag any of these, or is it really hard to find? You know, people but, to but, but not, you know be, before we had a brand, it was impossible. It was impossible. We had no profile. We had no reputation. Um, I mean, people would find out that we were making for other businesses and other brands and other fashion houses. Um, but because we had no, whether it's a social media following, we had we had no we had no yeah we had no profile. So it was quite difficult attracting staff. Um, now that we have got a um, a profile, a reputation, um, and we are kind of like a you know, a beacon of light and hope when it comes to luxury clothing here in the Northwest. I mean, you mentioned um, a couple of a couple of brands there, which are, I mean, the polar opposite of what we do. And, you know, I don't, I don't wish to say anything disparaging about, well, any, any, uh, any, any brand here in the UK. Um, but we're obviously a very, very, we're at the other end of the spectrum. Uh, we're catering to a completely different demographic. We do things completely um, or diametrically opposed. Um, and for a lot of fashion graduates, the way that we approach things is actually very, very appetizing and very, very appealing. You know, fast fashion um, and the glamour or grunge or whatever word you want to use that's associated with that is, is, is you know, is um, appetizing to some. 
But to others, they like the slow way of doing things, the right way of doing things, in my opinion. Um, and they like the fact that you, you know, when you're working and developing and designing and manufacturing within our four walls, um, you're doing it yourselves as opposed to, you know, building, developing, manufacturing, designing, critiquing by email. Um, there's a big, big difference. Um, you know, uh, so we're not, you know, we don't, we don't import anything. Obviously we have certain fabrics or certain, you know, Swiss zips that will come in from, um, from, from, you know, from across Europe, but what everything, virtually everything we do is, um, as I said, made, made on site with our own, um, with our own hands, hearts and minds. Um, and we have total control over the entire design, marketing, manufacturing um, process, um, as well as the sampling, the developing, the marketing. Um, it's all done in-house as opposed to, well, in other brands where they just focus on a specific area, um, whether that's, you know, importing or just marketing um, so it's a, it's a very, very different, different, it's a very different approach. You can't quite compare the two. Um, but to, to answer your, your question, so I went on one there. Um, we have a, I guess it, it's no different to the end consumer. We have the majority of men um, who don't appreciate, don't like, don't consider us as a suitable, appropriate brand for them to invest in. And that's absolutely fine. You know, it's absolutely fine. Um, because you know, that's just, you know, we, we are quite a, we are quite a specific, quite, we're quite a, uh, a niche specialist, quite a sophisticated, um, product. Um, and as a result, our, our target, our, our market is, is, is quite small and, and specialist and that's okay. Um, you know, you can't be everyone's friend in the playground. Um, and I guess there are certain people that are excited and, um, and keen to, um, come and work for a brand like ours um, and others are seduced by the bright lights and glitz and glamour of a slightly different approach and that's absolutely fine um, it's uh, it's strange because you mentioned where I wanted to go with my next uh, question uh, when you were starting out you must have had a sort of ideal customer a sort of target customer mm. who you thought you'd aim for mm. and I'd like to know more about how this influenced um the designs you wanted to go out with the advertising and also where you put your prices mm. well i guess we, I've, we've never been too concerned about price just because the costs associated with doing what we do i can't get around that you know there's a cost associated with the, you know light heat electrics to work with you know to pay people properly to um to fabricate and manufacture using the best materials possible it kind of you know the costs fall where they fall and from there you obviously have to build in an adequate margin that allows you to keep the lights on and to keep you know to keep the keep the steam going and to keep the dream alive um obviously with our cost basis and with my with my desire to have a certain aesthetic a certain um product category i mean but but bear in mind We've been very, very strong uh, historically with with outerwear coats, jackets, and woven. So that was going to be a strong, strong emphasis for us. Um, the kind of product that we've made in the past was extremely important in in dictating and determining the kind of look, feel, and aesthetic that we're going to offer in the present and in the future. 
Um, to your point about the, the the styling and the actual look and feel um, that came from myself, from my um, current business partner, Mike, and our other co-founder, Nick Ashley, um, who was the, the first designer that um, the, the first uh, yeah the first designer that, that that I worked with to to give Private White a look feel identity I guess an avatar um, and that's where it came from you know ten or so years ago. So who is your sort of typical customer? Do you think? Yeah, so so, so our, our typical customer, he's um, he is probably you know mid to late thirties up until dot 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 but typically up to you know mid mid fifties he is um well read well traveled um invariably well educated um he appreciates craft um and certainly quality um and he is you know he he, he is confident he knows what he likes he knows what he doesn't like um and he is not particularly um impressionable to fads and phases and fashions um and he wants to look and feel um like he is wearing good wholesome high integrity clothing um and um he's a he, you know he, he's he, yeah he, he he commutes he he likes the outdoors invariably um but he is not particularly Flash, brash, or flamboyant, um, invariably. I mean, we do have some quite quirky and esoteric and and, and 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 extravagant customers as well. But as a general rule, the private white guy is, I said, quite confident. He doesn't necessarily need a a a, a badge of of honour that says you know twelve hundred pounds across his chest um, because he appreciates the 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 intention behind our product that you know we, we like to think a private white garment um whispers as opposed to roars um and it's only when you get up close that you get to see and appreciate the, the, the quality that goes into everything um but that's the kind of guy that, that 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 resonates with our kind of products our kind of values our kind of uh proposition sounds like quite a nice bloke really doesn't he mm. he is I'd say it's a bit like. I mean, I would say I'm one of those. I think you, I think you're one of those as well, actually, Nick. I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> it, it was meant to. Is, is he the sort of guy who would like you to say, "That's a nice jacket, mate"? Can you tell me about it? Absolutely, that's exactly what you'd like. That's exactly what you'd like. Yeah, because you know, it's, I, you know, without wanting to sound too pretentious, you know, we're wearing something special like what we make here at Private White, wearing, wearing something that's so relatively scarce and unique. It's a bit like a, you know, a, a nice um, piece of furniture or a nice piece of art. You know, if you go to a dinner party and someone's got a beautiful um, picture on the wall, they love the idea of, um, they love the idea of, you know, when you ask the question, oh, can you tell me about this particular portrait? Can you tell me about this canvas? It's all, take a seat, just one second, let me tell you about this artist, you know, and off you go, they give you both barrels. Um, because there is a story to what we're doing. There's a nice, wholesome, romantic, authentic narrative behind what we do. Um, and obviously every brand's got a story, of course, but I think there is something, there is something quite deep and profound about 
what we have and what we do and what we will continue to do that does charm and resonate with the right kind of guy. I mean, to the wrong guy, it's just, well, it's just an irrelevance. But to those that do care about, you know, people and processes and products that have real, authentic, genuine stories. Um, and of course, out there, there's lots of people that have great product, but their stories are questionable. And then you also have people that have, well, quite shit product, but they've got very, very compelling storytelling because they've got great marketing departments. Um, so, yeah. Do you think the storytelling nowadays is kind of more important than what you're actually making? Um, yes and no. I think fun- ultimately without, you know, I mean, can you get by on great storytelling forever? I question that. I mean, there are businesses that just that have, I mean, for, for that you need just, un, you know, unlimited coffers. You need huge, huge marketing budgets that many businesses and brands have. Um, but I think, you know, well, for us, that wouldn't, you know, it's just, that's just not possible because we, because we're not capitalized like that. Um, I believe we've got a tremendous product. I know we have, we've got a great product. Um, and the storytelling is kind of like, it, it's, uh, it, it, it's totally authentic, actually. Um, you know, with, with, with the way the world is currently with the, with the levels of transparency that we offer, you can't necessarily, well, you can try to fake what we do, um, but you'd soon get caught out. Um, you know, in terms of storytelling, in terms of narratives, we are, I like to be just unashamedly open to what we do and how we do and why we do it. Um, and it's quite easy actually for us because it's never changed. You know, I was with the guys, yes, I took our team yesterday because we've got a growing team and I always like to try and in- install as much energy and enthusiasm and appreciation for what we do. Um, and it's always nice to get out of the factory. I took them to a, a, a mill, um, only 20 miles up the road. Um, and it's one of the UK's last remaining vertically integrated uh, cloth mills. So they do, you know, weaving, spinning, dyeing, finishing, etc. cetera. Um, and we've worked with those guys for, I don't know, 70, 80 years. Um, and we still continue to work with them. Why? Because, I mean, yes, it's convenient that they are on our doorstep. So it makes it easier um, and less problematic when there are delays, when there are frustrations, when there are problems. I don't have to, you know, get on a get on a plane or or, or, or get um, or get or, or get past uh, or, or get held up on over the phone. So there, is, so there is a either convenience to where we are, but we still work with them because, in our opinion, they make the best product. Um, and so I guess it's like it, Darwinism at its most extreme. You know, if you're still weaving fabrics in the UK, the chances are you're making a good product. Um, you know, there are not many startup um, weavers domestically, um, and I don't think that's likely to be um, a, 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 a buoyant area for growth moving forward. Um, but, yeah. I imagine also a weaver in the north of England must be pretty keen to sell their product to makers that aren't too far away because they're kind of unlikely to be exporting stuff to China. Um, I think, I think, I mean, the, the, the mills that we work with, the majority of their business is export led as it happens. Now, whether they're exported to China, perhaps not, but they, you know, there's, there's, there's still a buoyant business for British cloths in, in Japan, in the U S um, in Italy to an extent. Um, but you know, the majority of our 
our products, I said, unfortunately, are going outside of the UK. You know, I find it quite depressing that there's just more an appre- there's more of an appreciation and a respect and a demand for British-made quality clothing outside of the UK than domestically, um, which which is a shame. So, well, I mean, the lion's share of our products do go overseas. That's really surprising. Where do most of them go? Um, so, uh, the, it's you know our, our top country, our top jurisdiction is the US. Um, primarily the East Coast, so we do we do have quite a big um, a big following in in California, you know, places like San Francisco, where it, it almost like irrespective of time of year, come the evening you'll, you you want or may even need a jacket, so that's helpful for us. Um, Scandinavia, um, Germany, um, Japan, um, that's you know they're, they're our most buoyant online um, market. Um, and we've grown quite significantly from a wholesale perspective into uh, into China, um, but that's working with uh, with a handful of, of of stores out in China. Um, but yeah, sadly, there is more, um, as I said, you know, more opportunity, more um, more appreciation for our products in um, in areas outside of the UK. But that said, we have more of a profile outside of the UK as well. So that's probably one of my shortcomings. I haven't done enough of a local push you know more people know about us in munich than they do in manchester which is a bit bizarre and it's a bit sad but um, it's something we're trying to work on this sort of part of you won't be a profit in your own country type of thing do you think your local mank chap would prefer an italian jacket over one that's made over the road uh, I, where I, he's I, I, waiting I, for the bus? I don't i don't, uh, I don't think so I, I i think there just is a I, I, I don't, you know, the, the average German has a just a higher appreciation, understanding of craft and quality. Um, there isn't as much emphasis put on those things here um, in the UK, for better or worse. Um, you know, uh, and that, you know whether that's a whether that's a um, costing or not uh, i'm not quite sure what, i mean i've got various opinions on that but the, the reality is there just there just isn't the um there isn't a level of support for high, for quality clothing domestically than there are in other pockets of um other parts of the world so you know if you can't beat them join them that's really strange i mean i can't quite get my head around it but then again it is often the case that there are some really weird brands that make a massive success and it's impossible to understand why because, I mean, they might not look particularly good, they might not be very well made, but they're still quite expensive and people mm. really want them. But yeah. uh, I mean, you see other British brands now who are making products that somehow come into the same area as you are where they're making them in other countries with poorer materials okay. and seem to be doing okay. But probably like you, they're also much bigger abroad than in the UK. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's an area that we are looking to, to, to focus on because I, 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 you know, there are pockets of society here in the UK who, who, when they discover, when they learn about private white, they're actually, well, they're very surprised. They're very taken aback and they're actually delighted um, because, you know, we we are i believe we are catering to a demand or a curiosity that is still prevalent here in the uk uh, we've just got to find those guys um 
and that's I mean that's the challenge of all businesses is how do you how do you acquire um, more customers cheaper quicker sooner that's the challenge there's, isn't it I suppose those abroad though are after your sort of quintessential Englishness mm. and that might not be the same factor that sells a lot of jackets in England um uh yeah perhaps you know but th- th- there is a big 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 culture here in the uk for fast fashion for 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 you know for for for, for throwaway throwaway fashion um which is i mean that's just stratosphere of heart to where we are um you know i think from from a from a pricing point of view because we aren't a ubiquitous omnipresent luxury brand that everyone has heard of you know you've 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 seen the advert you've smelt the perfume you've sponsored the football club you know that's not us um and because we don't have that kind of ca- that kind of cachet um i guess from a pricing perspective people would rather invest and purchase from a well-known international brand irrespective almost of how good or bad the the product is i mean let's be clear there are some international brands that have phenomenal product um and also those that that don't um but you know uh, um but i think as as guys get a little bit older and they get a little bit more self-assured and more confident and they don't necessarily need the branded validation strapped all over their badge back sleeve wherever um and they are a little bit more um advanced in their career so they've got a little bit more income and they become a bit more um, curious and advanced in their, you know, in, in their product preferences. It's at that point, it's that time that when they're seeking out and researching their next item of clothing, they want something that's a little bit different, that's more special, more unique, and more scarce. That's when they tend to come to us. Is it still Nick Ashley doing your designs? Um, so Nick still does quite a few designs with us, yes. Um, so I'm seeing him in a, in a couple of weeks. So he was the first. So before I was involved with the factory, when Nick was head of um, Dunhill, he made as much British-made product with us that the Richemont Group would allow him to make in the UK. So that's, that's how I started my relationship with Nick. And then when it came to developing a look feel and finesse of the product you know there's only one guy that i was keen to work with and that was nick he's just a he's just a lovely lovely guy um great fun very very talented no airs or graces no no chip on his shoulder not um he's just a just a very very down-to-earth lovable rogue um who that i knew I, I could work with um and he could work with us so it was it was it was it was a great it was a great great partnership makes me that in the world of menswear designs sort of i don't know is there a lot of new designs i mean obviously we still have two arms and two legs so yeah well not... I, I, I i you know no there isn't um well, it's certainly, <laughs> well that's you know, a good, good honest answer <laughs> yeah you know there isn't you know from, from, you know, from our perspective I mean, I've, I've got um you know we, i mean we have a we have a phenomenal archive here we've got an archive it's probably about as big as anything um anything else out there in the uk I think we've got something like 25,000 patterns and probably about 15,000 garments. Um, and it's not, uh, the archive is, it's not one of everything we've made. It's one of, 
it's one of everything that we've or that I've kept over the years of interest. I'm a you know typical bloke. I love I love collecting. I love hoarding, and I hate throwing things out. Yeah. Um, so our, our archive is 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 really quite special. It's been it's been organized meticulously. It's been added to over the years. Um, and there's a lot of variety and a lot of dynamism in terms of, you know, in terms of fabrications or or um, or design features. But you know, when you go to our trench coat rail, you know, you'll see it. You'll see a, a trench coat. You know, that they are. There's lots of there's lots of deviations and variations within the 250 trench coats that I have. But you know, a trench coat is a trench coat. Same with a duffel or a field jacket or uh, you know, or a Chesterfield or whatever. Um, and so, you know, not, not to trivialise what what design is all about. Um, but you know, fr- from our perspective, we take a we take a silhouette and we try and fabricate fabricate it and finesse the pattern to a block that we think um our guy would like and appreciate and we then insert the raw materials the guts the bones of the garment whether it's the fusing whether it's the chest canvas whether it's the body lining whether it's the buttons um as best as we can and we think the end result is a is a garment that you will readily understand and recognize as being something you've seen before um but done in a way where when you aggregate up all the little small but subtle touches and finesses is something quite special and quite unique i'd like to sort of just do a little uh, check on your sort of outerwear chops if i may um what would be your favorite jacket or jackets that you don't make yourself and which is the favorite one you make yourself don't make um you can do them in the opposite order if you like. Yeah, no, no. Well, the 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 don't make is something that I mean, something we don't make currently, um, but um, we're taking steps to make it. Um, so we don't offer any kind. Of, we don't do any um, down jackets currently. Um, we don't do any. What we 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 do quite a lot of wadding garments using um, recycled um, wool. So we use wool wadding in some of our jackets, but we don't do any down. And I, and I would like to have that in our stable. Um, so we're in the process of exploring just what it would take to create a British made Manchester made down jacket. Um, you know, cause we, it, it's no different to our recent foray into Jersey. We were, ne- we were never makers of Jersey of, of, of t-shirts, sweatshirts, polos. And then during COVID, um, we, 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 we received some quite big government contracts to make gowns medical gowns um and we invested quite heavily in equipment and we 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 trained and upskilled uh, recruited trained and upskilled quite a lot of um local residents um to make gowns um contract finished covid um subsided and we were desperately keen to make use of the machinery but more importantly the people and so we repurposed the overlockers and then have gone into jersey and sweats in quite a big way um which was jersey was always something that i was keen to explore it was always something i wanted to have in our private white wardrobe but the infrastructure has never been there necessarily because i'm a bit peculiar and if i don't have total ownership and control and accountability for the product and for the supply chain i'm just not not inclined to to um 
to to make it elsewhere. Um, I mean, there, there are certain factories and certain industry, certain product categories that we do work with domestically where I'm comfortable with the quality and I'm comfortable with the practices and I'm comfortable with the um, with the people behind those factories. So whether it's you know knitwear in Scotland or you know footwear um, down in Northampton, Jersey has been something that the UK has been um, achingly bereft of. So we're since trying to uh, we've since um, looking to right that wrong. Um, and similar with, with Down. So we're now looking at the viability for us to set up what will be the UK, well, not the UK's only um, Down factory, but certainly um, it's likely to be, um, in my opinion, the most dynamic and probably the biggest in the next few months. So that's the jacket that we don't have. Um, the jacket that we do have, um, I mean, it's very hard for me to look past our um, a cotton raincoat. You know, it's just... It's been the cornerstone of this factory for forever. Um, it's so um, so synonymous with the region, the rain, um, and um, yeah, it, 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 it's it's our most popular silhouette. I believe it will always be the most important garment, um, not to every man, but certainly for our brand. Um, and we run it in, you know, there's, there's a few variations. Our most popular one is a, um, it's a, uh, a, a Vental tape seam raincoat, um, which, um, once again, it, it, it reminds me of the, the, of the history of the past of this business. Um, you know, many, many years ago, you could have, well, you know, when this was a private label factory in the sixties and seventies, um, and this was when the, you know, the, the factory was absolutely booming, making, you know, 10, 20, 30,000 cotton raincoats a week, you know, this a week. So this was, this I was, was wild. This, a year there. No, no, this was, this was, this was, this was, this was, this was when, the, you know, when there was maybe 600 people um, working here. It was, it was wild. Um, and you could have whatever you wanted as long as you wanted a single breasted fly through button cotton gabardine raincoat in any color you wanted, as long as it was putty or stone or navy. And that was it. It was one shape, one fabric, um, and that was that. Obviously, the the the, the, the landscape has changed um, astronomically since then. Um, but you know, cotton raincoat, said Manchester rainwear, um, is very synonymous to to this factory, very 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 um, very very dear to my heart. Um, and that uh, also charms as well with our customers. It's one of our best selling um, best selling items. Often wondered whether. Because you do some, or have done some very distinctive jackets like the Jeep coat. Uh, mm-hmm. You've got the Twin Track. Uh, there's another one I'm struggling to think of now: the Great Coat. Mm. Sort of special jackets. Mm. Are they sort of less of a money maker than the bread and butter? Well, well cotton, I th- I, cotton I, raincoats. I, I, I mean, certainly from a you know the Jeep coat, for example. You know that is like you know you talk of talk of making life difficult for yourself as a factory owner. You know, um, I, I guess one of the one of the reasons why we have such a wild variety of product is that over the years, before Private White came along as the brand, and Mike, my business partner, he was so so determined to keep the lights on to stay to, for the business to stay alive, he had to lend his hand to everything. So you know when the British when the British armed forces needed gas suits during the Gulf War, he put his hand up. 
and he learned how to make gas suits. Um, whether it was corporate uniform, whether it was aviation uniform, whether it was you know uniform for the the Olympics, whether it was trench coats for Burberry or wax jackets for whoever. Um, the level, the versatility, the skills, the dynamism within this place allows us to do weird and wonderful things because we've got the skills to do it. Um, and you go to other factories, and once again, this is not me I'm criticizing or talking foul, most other factories only make a specific product in, in wild volume because that's all they can make or that's all they want to make. And whereas over the years, we've had to make lots and lots and lots of styles. So we've got the skills and the dynamism to make extremely um, eclectic, immaculate, embellished styles. Um, and we love doing so. So, yes, our bread and butter is our very, very simple, um, you know, unlined, fly-flinted raincoat. Not to say, actually, that our Ventile Mac isn't extremely complex. You know, it, there's, 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 a, you know there's welt pockets, there's two internal jet pockets, there's a zip. There's um, all the seams are, are are taped beautifully. There's there's no bound seams in the in the in the sleeve, so there is that there's sleeve lining. So it's quite a complicated, as far as raincoats go, it's very complicated. Um, but to your point about the jeep coat and the twin track, they are ferociously difficult, frighteningly complicated, and in fairness, even though we're selling and manufacturing more and more, we don't sell anywhere near enough jeep coats to make the production efficient you know it's it's extremely it's like throwing a, it's like throwing a grenade into the factory when when those bad boys come along they're so heavy the cutting is slow there's so and it's probably something like probably probably close to 40 components go into one of our jeep coats you've got the wool wadding you've got the shirling so the wool wadding has to be cut separately to the outer you've got the shirling which has to be cut by cut by shears you've got um you've got buckles you've got i mean it, it, it's just a complete um it's just a complete um well it's, it, it's it's just it's wildly complicated and you made the you mentioned the twin track as well um which is as far as wax jackets go it's about as complex and about as awkward and difficult and challenging intentionally by the way <laughs> to, uh, to to craft and create i mean the, the minute value on that if you take a standard you know wax jacket where you may have um you, you know, you've got two two bellows pockets probably two hand warmers uh it's quite sh- you know quite short there's no vents there's nothing really interesting on the sleeves or cuffs um so no vents no belts you know uh, a twin track is probably probably as much as f- four or five of those um from a from a minute value perspective um so it's quite um it's quite ridiculous actually just how um how over the top we go at times but you know we love doing it because um well because that's all we know that's the sort of stuff that really shows off what you can do yeah. so that must be the sort of grail products that that get the attention uh, i yeah, mean i'd probably I i'd probably so. just walk straight by that cotton mac didn't even notice it even though it might have been a handy coat to have but yeah. I'd have gone straight for, say, a Jeep coat or something because I'm a jacket guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's lots of, lots of guys like you. It's great. It's great. You know, and people do, you know, um, obsess and, um, and take great pleasure and delight in the, in, the, in the pain that a maker has gone through to create something which is, which is totally unique and very special. 
it does give us something to talk about because when you of spot course. me in that jacket and you say, Oi, yeah. what's the jacket? Yeah. I kind of say, Oh, it's just a wax jacket. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's not going to keep the conversation going, is it? No. Well, listen, guys like you, they, they, they like having conversations about certain things. Um, and, 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 and unfortunately, mo- most guys don't. Most guys aren't that interested in craft and clothing. And that's absolutely fine. Yeah, absolutely fine. You know, and, but, you know, there, there is a, an increasing amount of guys that are. Um, and fortunately, due to well, shows like this and, 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 and the joys in, of the Internet, they're able to learn more, discover more, um, educate themselves and others more about you know what uh you know what quality coding um is all about um and that's great and guys do tend to become a bit obsessive of course of in course. possibly unhealthy ways yeah of course <laughs> but, you know but at least at, but at least we're predictable you know we we, we you know I, i'm 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 very very i'm very very predictable i'm you know very very primal very very basic i've got i've got my you know i've got my grape of choice my curry house of choice my takeaway of choice i've got my pen of choice my check you know and and with clothing and jackets um i do look to obsess of the details the fabrication the construction um the stitching the patterns the the drape um and yeah i couldn't imagine not doing that probably got a favorite brand as well i'm a little bit biased <laughs> do you really wear your own brand uh um most of the time yes most of the time yes um but you know i i i have a i have a i have a big appreciation for lots of lots of brands you know i've got quite i've got quite a lot of friends that are in that are in menswear so i've got my uh my good friend tom he works in he's spectacles he's got a brand called kubits i'm actually wearing a pair of um Wearing a pair of Duke and Dexter sneakers. So my friend Archie, he runs that business. He makes his footwear in in, in Sheffield. Um, I'm wearing a um, uh, these these um, these denim trousers are from my friend Jake Jake Grantham. He's got a store called Anglo Italian in Marlebone. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I, I do um, I do like shopping with 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 other brands. Um, I've got a wild collection of coats and jackets in the archive most of those have been made here domestically in in the factory but then i've also you know collected many other garments over the years um but do i have a favorite no i don't think i have a favorite um fashion brand actually um but i do have you know respect and admiration for for in fact i have respect and admiration for anyone that is sadistic enough to work in this industry because it's 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 bloody challenging um but you know i have a lot of a lot of lot of respect and reverence to those people that are making things in a way which i consider to be the proper way um in a in, in a you know hopeful and harmonious way which is um and with, with an appreciation for for product quality um you know if they are able and willing to make it in the uk then that's a bonus for me because I have my own political persuasions and my opinions about, you know, where British British fashion should be should be sourced and made. But it's not it's not it's not viable for everyone. I understand that. Um, but no, I think I think there's, there's there's lots of good brands out there, and there's lots of good products out there. Um, I just wish there was more because there's just a lot of shit out there. 
Well, there is that. Uh, you touched upon what was really one of my biggest questions. Sorry to interrupt, but at this point in the pod, you're probably wondering, where are the ads? I miss the ads. And you're right, there are no ads. I hate ads. If you'd like to buy me a coffee, though, you can go to buymeacoffee.com, enter gomology, and it's easy. And, uh, yeah, let's continue on. To you, about you, and we touched upon it right at the start, where you were saying how you... um, how you came to take over the factory, mm. but it's—I I think a lot of people would find it hard to contemplate how you—you um, you were in a. Well, you clearly worked really, but you were in a sort of safe financial job, probably a smart car, leggy girlfriend, prospects out of the yeah. wazoo, and then you decided that well, I better go into the fashion industry, an industry yeah. I know virtually nothing about, and it's yeah. probably going to be really sketchy. Um, yeah, well, first, first of all, to, you know, smart car, leggy girlfriend. I didn't have a smart car. Um, I did have a leggy girlfriend, and she's now my wife, and we're happily still married Good. with three children. Yep. Um, so there's a big tick there. Um, but look, you know, I was I was working in in finance. You know, you have to appreciate the contents and background. It was 2008, 2009, 2010. The world had imploded. I was working in structured finance for an investment bank based out in Liverpool Street. Um, in London, and I just lost the will to live. Um, it does sound soul destroying. Yeah, and you know, I'm not some sort of like wildly gifted, self-loathing guitarist or or, or or central midfield football player who can just you know, you know, have a swig of some uh, swig of some Macallan or indeed a uh, some Lucasade and just knock it out of the park or on stage. And invariably, you know, if you're going to be a if you're going to be a professional financial success in an arena like finance you've either got to be far more intelligent than the next guy or you've got to be far more driven and far more focused and far more hardworking. and i was neither of those things so you know did i have the perfect sinecure was was i in was i in pole position for immense wealth and prosperity no i wasn't you know i didn't enjoy i, I didn't enjoy what i was doing i had no passion i had no purpose and there was just people, there was just so much despair and misery around me because everyone was getting fired. You know, I had, I had, you know, so I had, I had no wife. I had no mystery. Oh, no, I had, a, had, I, had no, I had a girlfriend. I had no property. I was renting from my best friend um, who was a solicitor, still is a solicitor actually in London. So I had no overheads. I had no expenses. I had no, as I said, no wives, no kids, no golf membership, no country club, nothing like that. Um, so it was actually quite an easy decision to take a leap of faith and move back in with my parents in Manchester. So I was delighted to do that because, you know, I mean, if, if I could still, if I could move back with my mum now, I probably would. Um, you know, so it, that wasn't so challenging, wasn't so difficult. Was there a risk at the time? No, not really. You know, worst case scenario, I'd, I'd lose a few quid um, and that would be it. You know, no one expected me to do anything. You know, because the idea of taking a failing factory and see it fail, you know, uh, you know, okay, so there was a danger. Maybe I'd bruise my ego. Um, there's the opportunity cost of a few years of not working for a corporate beast. I was okay with that. <laughs> you, know? you just totally smashed your knight in shining armor image there. <laughs> 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 I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, I, you know, I, oh, yes, there was, there was well, I mean, the, 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 I mean I'd, I'd love to, 
I'd love to portray this 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 image of um, of me taking a huge 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 risk. But as I said, there wasn't. Uh, you know, I, well, I just didn't. I, did, I didn't see it. Now, yes, I was a little bit carefree and reckless and careless, and 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 and, I, and perhaps I didn't quite understand the depths of complexity in running a factory, and I still don't. You know, learning learning um, all day, every day, making loads of mistakes, morning, noon, and night, and that's part of the part of the part of the process that never ends. Um, but um, you know, there was a. I guess there was a lot. There was a, a youthful naivety. To the approach, which allowed me to to take the leap of faith. You know, if I, when I look back now as to what I knew then and what I took on, um, it was a little bit ridiculous. Um, I didn't listen to people who told me not to do it, um, and that was mainly my um, not so much my family actually. My parents were quite supportive. They, you know, I think they liked the idea of me moving back with them. So they were like, "Well, you know, that, this means he's he's coming back to you know because there's not much traffic going from you know once 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 you head to from Manchester to London, there's not much traffic going, going back the other way. Um, mm. you know, the, the flight of, of, of human capital invariably, you know, heads to London and stops there. At least it did back then. So they were very, very, um, excited and, and all embracing about me coming back. Um, my friends in London were, we thought I was just fucking crazy. Actually, they were like, honest, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to give up your, you know, your relatively tremendous salary and position at a high profile bank to go and work in a virtually bankrupt old Dickensian mill that's got about three to six months worth of um, uh, runway as a going concern. You've got no business plan. You've got no customers. um, And you've just been promoted at your bank. Um, just uh, you know, yes, they 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 they, they thought I was crazy, um, but you know, that was then, and this is now, and they were right. <laughs> <laughs> so, sort of fifteen years down the line, I mean, how's it gone? Uh, well, it's it, it's been a wild roller coaster. Um, certainly, the the, the 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 I mean, post COVID, um, things are starting to. Um, settle a little bit we had we, I mean, we had a wild couple of days over covid because of um because of the work we did for the british government which was which was testament to not my not my skills because i don't have any but testament to my my management um here um the management team here were able to to to, to virtually reinvigorate but were able to from nowhere um set up some quite large um regional factories for the british government making masks and gowns um on site here in manchester but also we set up some some um adjacent factories um making ex- i mean it's the polar opposite of what we do here you know here everything is 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 um is extremely complicated extremely embellished it's it's um almost bespoke um, each garment is totally different there's no uh, there's no um, standardization or um, homogeneity in our product mix. So for us to go into do you know tens of millions of gowns and medical masks um, with wow you know with highly automated machinery um, in clean rooms with HEPA filters and hazmat suits and all the rest of it was 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 just a well not it was just complete it was well it wasn't completely different to what we do now but it was fairly. <laughs> 
fairly inconsistent um, with what we do. So that was a great learning curve. Um, and, you know, I'm very, very proud of our, of our profile and reputation within the industry and within um, our clients. You know, at, at the price point that we are, we are, we are servicing invariably men who can, who have lots and lots of choices. You know, the guy that's buying a private white twin track or a Jeep coat or a raincoat doesn't, he's not compelled or coerced to shop with us. There are infinite brands that he can, he can invest in. Um, and the fact that our retention rate and the loyalty that we have within our customers internationally is something that staggers and pleases me immensely. Um, so I think, yeah, the, the, the return frequency that we have from our guys gives us a lot of comfort and a lot of pride. Um, you know, it's one thing converting a customer once for them to come back second time, third time, fourth time, fifth time, 15th time, 25th time is, um, is something that we're very, very, um, we're very, very proud of. Um, and I think the future is very, very bright for what we do. We've got a very difficult six, 12, 18 months ahead based on, well, just the uncertainty and chaos and disorder of life at the moment with all the nonsense and drama and, 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 and political upheaval that we have here in the UK, but also um, further afield. Um, and then there's the ongoing challenges of growing and scaling and developing and nurturing um, a young, uh, middle-aged and elder team. Um, but we are you know, ripe and ready for the fight as we've been for the past, you know, 10, 15 years. So it sounds like your friends who thought you were mad were slightly right, but mostly wrong. Oh, I'm, I think I'm, 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 I'm definitely mad. There's no doubt about it. There's def, I'm, I'm definitely peculiar. I'm, I'm, of a, I'm of a strange disposition, but that's okay. I've, I'm, I'm, I'm resigned to that over the years. It's, it, it, I've accepted it. Um, were they Were they right? Were they wrong? I don't know. I mean, ultimately, I'm, I'm, I could not be happier in what I'm doing. And I've got friends who, who are still, you know, who are still, you know, beating the, the corporate drum. Um, and they're not as happy. Now, you know, they are compensated accordingly. Um, but ultimately, you know, that's not the most important thing. It's a consideration, of course, it is. Um, but I look at what I look at the opportunities and the relative luxuries I have from a, you know, from a, from a, from a craft, from a design, from a creativity perspective. And it's totally unrivaled to what anyone else of my peer group is doing. Um, not like, you know, compare and contrast, you know, the, 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 the successes and, 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 and relative, you know, um, riches and, and, and day jobs that we have. Um, but from a gratification point of view, um, you know, I feel very, very privileged. I like it. Uh, now, there's one thing I wanted to ask you about. Um, a couple of years ago, was it, you made quite a big push to change the way garments are priced mm. with regards to discounting, sales, etc. Yeah. How did that work out? Well, it's, uh, you know, I, I, at the time, I was... I was, you know, I, I, I didn't like what I was seeing in the marketplace at the time, and I still don't like it. 
Um, once again, this came from a, this came from an inexperienced, naive, um, youthful, you know, um, reckless part of me um, because I have no, you know, I have I have no one to answer to as such. Um, I, you know, I run the business, I own the business, and I can say and do as I please to an extent. Not that I'm some sort of wild tyrant, uh, but if I've got a um, if I've got a point I want to get across to to, to our community or, or, or the team, then I'll make it. And you know, I was um, I set out on a on a quest or a mission to try and educate our customers about how products are priced, how promotional activity works, how discounting works, what other big brands do, what other fashion houses do, and trying to explain how it works from a margin perspective and stock perspective um, and all the rest of it. Um, and I guess as, as, a, as a, an educational tool and a resource and as a, as a point of referral, um, I think it was quite, um, quite enlightening or insightful for many. Um, it was unfortunate that um, over the past couple of years, we've had to reflect and reassess our positioning and our stance from that perspective because it just wasn't, it wasn't a viable business model. Um, just, to, just to recap, you wanted to do away with discounting and sales. Yeah, yeah. Explain to the customer what it actually costs to make something. Yeah, exactly that. So that exactly they would that. be fine with paying what was then the asking price. Yeah, uh, ex- exactly. Um, but then the challenges that you have as a, as a, as a well as, as brands have you have it you have issues with inventory. You have issues with um, with with um, well, with, with with inventory, with seasonality, with um, with um, well, with 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 with, with sales, um, and it becomes extremely difficult, almost impossible, to get your buying and merchandising perfect, and without a ample headroom of margin, um, it becomes very very difficult to have a business that is sustained like that. Um, until we've had to evolve and, and, and flex the way we do things, um, and um, and yeah, that was you know that was a, a few years ago. The world is as, as well. The world is over the past three or four years. The world is it almost feels totally totally different now. Um, although it's getting, it, it seems to be reverting back to to what I consider normal. Um, but yeah, it was it was a very very heartfelt, very compassionate, um, very sincere. Um, line of, of thinking and communication, um, and I think it, 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 if, if nothing else, I think it, it, it set us apart, um, and it was a good way of explaining to our customers uh, existing and potential what kind of business we were, what kind of values we hold, what we think is important, and what we think is uh, right, and what is, what we think is wrong. Thank- to my mind, time has proven that what you were trying to achieve then was actually a better way forward. Mm. What with the sustainable, slow fashion type yeah, of thinking yeah. now, yeah. where you buy something good and you buy it once and you keep it, and you're aware of what it costs and what its value is. Mm. So it's a shame that it didn't actually catch on more. Mm. Uh, what was the sort of response you were getting at the time? Well, the, the response was—I mean, for the, you know, the response was very, 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 very. Uh, I mean, there's some some people didn't like it. Some people, you know, look at the um, 
look at the numbers that were associated and just was staggered and amazed that a retail brand would would look to make any kind of profit whatsoever. Um, but yeah, you are a charity operation, of course. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Everything we do is pro bono. Yeah, um, but, but I mean, most of our guys. I mean, our, our customer invariably is fairly well informed. You know, he's a man of commerce. He understands. Um, you know, he understands. He understands business. He understands. Um, um, yeah, he, he, he understands how the world works. Um, and I think people. I think you know, on the whole. In fact, almost universally, there were people were were were, were not so impressed is not the word. Um, they were enthusiastic. They were supportive. They liked the level of transparency, and they liked a rather novel, the, the rather novel approach to um, communicating and explaining what it is we do and how we do it. Um, and it was a, it was a, it was certainly it was a, it was a unique, innovative. Um, original way of um explanation and, and, and as a stance um and i was you know was very comfortable about it then i'm very comfortable about it now um because what we do is 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 unique it is it is novel and we're not we're not set up to behave and operate and market like every other business because we're not like every other business we're not like every other fashion brand we're like every other fashion brand i guess but we've got our own factory that makes us very, very, um, well, very, very different, very, very special in my eyes. One-stop shop in every possible way, yeah, really. In every possible in every possible way, yeah. I mean, we've got, as I said, you know, I was at a mill yesterday where the 95% of our, our walls come from, um, and that's, you know, it's probably, I think it's 24, I think I timed it, yes, I think it's 24, um, 24 miles from the factory. Um, most of our cottons come probably, you know, from a 40 mile, um, 30 mile, um, radius from the factory. Um, we get a, an unfortunate amount of cotton now from overseas, from places like Switzerland, because they just don't weave a certain, you know, certain fabrics here domestically. Um, but you know, you know, you said there were a one-stop shop. Um, we try and be, you know, we try and, we try and source as locally as possible. We try and only work with the the best suppliers possible um but we like to have total control total um total total visibility and total accountability for everything we do whether it's the marketing or the warehousing or the pattern cutting or the embroidering or the seam sealing everything we do we do ourselves in-house where possible there you go in closing james is there anything you'd like to mention anything you'd like to um Give a push. Is the Jeep um, coming uh, back in a Ventile? We are doing uh, actually a, a Jeep coat in Ventile, as it happens. Um, oh. That'll be out in October. Um, I would encourage anyone and everyone who feels inclined to come and visit us in Manchester. Um, we've got a 30,000 square foot factory. It's over a century, over 100 years old. It's right in the heart of central Manchester. Um, you can contact me on social media you can make an appointment online um i will personally show you around the factory i'll give you both barrels i'll take you on a tour um i love when people visit the factory i get so excited i mean i used to spend you know mondays to fridays in the store in, in the factory in manchester and, and, and weekends in london um working in the shop meeting and greeting and just interacting and engaging and finding out what was good what was bad 
you know, what silhouettes are working, what the feedback is. So I love customer and client interaction because it's, it's so important. Um, and I get so excited when we have people coming to the factory for tours um, in the store here, but also just for them to have a walk around and just to feel the intensity and, you know, the heat and passion that goes on in this building because it's endless. Um, and it's totally unique and not like anywhere else you will have seen or are likely to see ever again because there aren't many 125-year-old factories still operating in, in, in Manchester, which is the world's first industrial city. And is there free tea and biscuits? There's tea, biscuits, Eccles cake, coffee, uh, wine, beer, lager, wh- wh- whatever one deserves. We, we, can, we can accommodate, to, we can pander to every women palette. Oh, there you go. How could anyone resist? Okay, James, this was very fun. So thanks a lot for joining me. And uh, bye-bye. Thanks a lot. That was, that was a lot of fun. Thank you. And that's all for this week's episode of Garmology. If you'd like to check out my guest further, there's links in the show notes. There's also links to uh, how you can uh, support the pod by buying me a cup of coffee, which is perfectly optional. I'm just pleased you're listening. If you'd like to get in touch, suggest a guest, just let me know what you think. It's uh, welldressedad at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram as welldressedad. So until next week, bye-bye.